For a while, I was inundated with information on lucid dreaming. Videos began showing up in my YouTube feed, people began bringing it up in conversation, and I even found a little book about it in the back pocket of a seat on a plane. So when it came up during one of my readings with the medium Carissa Eve, I wasn't that surprised. Carissa actually seemed a little annoyed that Jack was bringing it up because her husband is into lucid dreaming. It seemed like a topic she'd already spent more time talking about than she wanted to. And to be honest, I could sort of understand why. What I knew of lucid dreaming was that people got into it to do things they couldn't do in their waking lives, like fly or shapeshift, which seemed cool, but not necessarily my kind of thing. But Carissa explained that Jack wanted me to try to lucid dream because the dream world provides a sort of liminal space between the material and spiritual worlds. He's like, what you call lucid dreaming is me just bringing you over here. And then he said to me, he's like, it's kind of like, think of the Venn diagram. We're like in the middle of both spaces. Which is exactly what I'd been asking for, to understand more about what it's like on the other side. If lucid dreaming could help me do that, I was in. This is The Glimmering, a podcast about living in a state of magical realism. I'm Joy Ueno. So if I wanted to dip a toe into understanding life on the other side, I just need to learn to lucid dream. There is just one tiny problem. Lucid dreaming has a lot to do with recall, and I have never really been able to remember my dreams. In case you're unfamiliar, lucid dreaming is the act of becoming conscious within a dream. For some people, especially kids, lucid dreaming comes naturally, like it did for James. I don't have this ability anymore. I I've tried to do it and it's just not the way it was when I was a kid. And I would be aware that I was in a dream. And although I never really did anything with it, I didn't like some people, you know, now will talk about if you have a lucid dream, you can try and fly or, you know, transform yourself. I didn't do any of that. I just went about my dream world knowing that I was in a dream. But it wasn't natural or easy for me. I consumed all the information I could get about how to go about lucid dreaming, and everyone said the same thing. The first step is to begin keeping a dream journal. Did you know that 50% of the details of your dreams vanish as soon as you wake up? And within 10 minutes, that number goes up to 90%. But by journaling, you're basically working your dream recall muscle, and on top of that, you might begin to notice patterns in your dreams. So I started keeping a journal. Okay, so it's May 5th, 2022. I had a dream that I was in an airport and it was all women in the airport. And they kept saying to me, that person is the king and I don't know who they were talking about. I didn't see anyone who could be the king. We were I don't even know in Hawaii, but it was cold and we were all bundled up in coats and like, near the ocean but the ocean was frozen i just had a dream that um i wanted to get a coffee and they told me i had to do a community service project to get my coffee through journaling my dreams though not otherworldly were definitely becoming clearer the Lucid Dreaming resources also said that it's helpful to share your dreams with someone you trust. I know that some people find it 
unbearable to listen to other people's dreams, but my friend Rosie and I can't get enough. I believe that dreams are literally like it just you know we we have this term like waking life and and to me like I'm always thinking about like what is dreaming life because a lot of people I I think like in today's society we tend to think of dreams as like fluffy stuff um like woo woo stuff things that people don't really take seriously but based on my own experiences based on my family lineage and countless stories from many other people I've spoken to dreams are not just something that we make up in our imagination that it's like in our head they are literally experiences that we're having that are beyond what we understand like the physical tangible reality to be the more we talked about our dreams the more we began to see that they were in their own strange ways delivering us truths that we might have had a harder time receiving in our waking lives they're a place where we can really gather information. And this is not just like inspirational messages. These aren't just like messages about uh, like warning signs that you might have, maybe like the vibe of somebody else. I, I definitely believe that dreams are also a realm in which we can receive information that is important for the collective. In one of my dreams, I was standing on a bridge overlooking a waterfall, and over that waterfall were 24 rainbows. Someone in that dream explained to me that this place exists here, on this side, but that I wouldn't see it in quite the same way because of the density of the 3D world. When we went to Iceland last August, I was stunned when James and I found ourselves standing before that same waterfall from my dream, with the same bridge, but instead of 24 rainbows, just one arched across the spray. This all felt like validation of a message I'd received through plant medicine, which we'll talk more about next season. That our reality, though beautiful, is not the end-all, be-all of realities. That it is, on some level, a matrix. Decades ago, James got a similar message in his dreams. I was in a space, some kind of liminal space where, you know, it didn't feel like it was indoors or outdoors. I was in... I don't know what, like a, like a kind of a dark place that had a lot of machinery. And I was climbing over some sort of metal surface that looked like it had a hatch, like, uh, like you'd see in a submarine or something like with a, with a wheel that you could turn or a handle. And I opened the hatch and I remember looking down inside this space and there was a uh, something, I want to say it was not a person per se, Maybe an alien would be the best way to describe it. Something that looked humanoid-like, and it looked up at me, and it said, you're not supposed to be here. And I remember looking down and then kind of woke up from that very abruptly. And I remember my heart was sort of racing even as I woke up. And it just felt very much more real than even some of my more the more lucid dreams I had. I just remember thinking, who was that? <laughs> is that somebody, was I somewhere really beyond, or is that just my mind? Like I couldn't tell if that was just me or if that was um, a place, like a real place with a real somebody who saw me and said, how did you get here? You don't belong here. Rosie also had a strange dream that brought her to a similar conclusion. 
I specifically just remember in that dream, there was this man who was pulling out a wire out of side of his outside of his body. And he just like kept pulling and pulling outside of his uh, from his mouth. So through his mouth, there was this wire that he was pulling out. And it reminded me literally of like the matrix. And to me, like that helped me understand just seeing that happen to him. To me, I, I really took that as a message around how as a society, we have ingested and have had to digest a, a lot of different beliefs and conditionings around how it is that we should live and operate. And so for me to witness this man pulling the wire out of his body really, to me, symbolized how we can escape the matrix. We, we don't necessarily have to operate and abide by these particular standards. I loved that we were receiving these spiritual truths, and I was looking forward to seeing what my dreams might tell me each night, but I still wasn't becoming lucid. The next step was to begin doing reality checks through my days. The idea behind reality checks is that if we question whether or not we're awake in our waking lives, we'll do the same in our dream lives. There are a bunch of ways you can test your reality. You can pinch your nose shut, and if you're still able to breathe, you're dreaming. You can read a clock, and if it's faceless or the numbers keep changing, you're dreaming. Or you can poke the palm of your hand with a finger from the opposite hand, and if the finger goes through your palm, you're dreaming. I went with the palm poking technique since it seemed the most straightforward to me. Did you think it was weird when I started walking around and poking at my hands all the time? Uh, well, I actually thought it was kind of neat because now... There was all this language around lucid dreaming and all of these ideas and ways to validate if you were in a lucid dream. But I wasn't like following your lead or anything. I wasn't like, well, I'm, I'm not trying to lucid dream. But clearly you doing that sort of rubbed off on me because I had made a decision at some point that I wasn't going to drive into work anymore. I was going to take public transportation and I had gone into Boston that day on the commuter rail. And on the way home, we made it about halfway and the train just stopped. And it was stopped there for like much longer than just a couple of minutes where people would be able to board and depart. And I had my phone on me. And I remember just kind of casually glancing at the the app that was for the public transportation system. And it said that the train had been stopped due to police action. And the other thing to note was I had gotten on a car that, you know, had a few people on it, which was unusual in itself, leaving Boston, that there were only that few people in this particular car. But by the time we got to the station, I was the only one on the car. I had actually been sort of napping on and off on the on the train ride. And I had gotten to that stop, looked at my phone, saw what it said, and just sort of decided to kind of go back into my nap mode. So I was sitting there kind of napping out. And all of a sudden, I heard, I mean, it's the definition of the word, a commotion. There was like a banging and, a, and oh, like a sound that I couldn't recognize. And uh, then suddenly, my eyes are open. And there's a person standing in front of me, completely disheveled. He was wearing two pairs of jeans, and one of them was kind of slunk down to his knees. His hair was wild. His eyes were wild. And I just saw this person, and then I kind of closed my eyes again because I'm like, I don't know who this is, but I'm just going to go back to my nap, and hopefully whoever this is just boards and sits. And I closed my eyes again, and he said, Donald Trump Jr., hey! Now, if you see a picture of me 
I don't look anything like Donald Trump Jr. The only thing in retrospect that I could figure out is I was wearing a button-down work shirt. So when I, <laughs> I opened my eyes, the police had busted in. This was apparently the police action. So they grabbed this person and pulled him off the train. And I just remember thinking, am I dreaming? And this was the first time after we had been talking about it for so long that I actually picked up my hand and I tapped my palm with my index finger to see if I was actually dreaming or not. So even though I was doing it more often, James and I were both testing our realities during this period of time. And I was also reading and watching and listening to everything I could about lucid dreaming. Through these resources, I learned that there are a bunch of different techniques to induce lucid dreaming. There's the mnemonic-induced lucid dreaming, or mild technique, where you repeat a phrase to yourself as you fall asleep, like, the next time I'm dreaming, I'll remember that I'm dreaming. There's finger-induced lucid dreaming, which requires you to tap on your mattress for a few seconds before testing your reality. And then there's the wake-back-to-bed technique, which involves getting up and being active for some period of time before falling back asleep again. Most of these techniques require you to wake up around five hours after you fall asleep, just before your longest REM cycle. And when I learned this, it was a total aha moment. Because you see, I'd been waking up at almost exactly five hours into my sleep cycle every night, and now I knew why. So when I finally gave the wake back to bed technique a try, I didn't need to set an alarm. As usual, I woke up five hours after falling asleep, but this time I just sat up for half an hour, reading, rather than trying to go right back to sleep. And nothing happened. For months, nothing happened. But every time I wanted to give up, I'd start receiving a flurry of songs with titles like In Dreams, Dream Life, Sweet Dreams, Walking on a Dream, Like a Dream. And if you listen to episode one, You might also remember that the song I was dancing to on the day I lost my breath on the trail, the day that Jack passed, was Fleetwood Mac's Dreams, and I was hearing that one everywhere. So I kept trying, poking my palms and watching videos and waking up in the middle of the night. I kept writing down every dream I could remember. And then one night, after about three months of trying, I became lucid. In the dream, I was wandering through a swoon-worthy vacation rental, and it was really late at night, but one of my childhood friends was in the pool with her kids, and I talked to them for a while. Then when I went back into the house, I saw another one of our friends, someone my childhood friend and I had both lived with in college, someone I literally never think about. I said, hey, can I ask you a question? But she didn't respond. Instead, she looked at me, and proceeded to walk straight through a wall. And I thought, that's not normal. Am I dreaming? I pushed my right index finger into my left palm and it went straight through. And I was awake in my dream. I immediately thought, I need to find Jack but I didn't know where to begin. 
I opened and closed doors, I walked outside, I climbed a tree, but I was just so excited to be lucid that I was basically running around in circles. And excitement is the number one mistake in lucid dreaming because it wakes you up. But to be totally honest, I didn't really care. After months of trying, I'd finally become lucid and I knew that if I'd done it once, I could probably do it again. But have I? The short answer is yes, a few times. The longer answer is that, though I've become lucid, it's never for very long. I've never flown or time-traveled or met anyone famous. I've never found Jack. At least, not in my lucid dreams. After nine months of trying to become lucid, I was exhausted. So last fall, I decided to return my focus to getting a solid night's sleep instead. And that's when I started getting lots of incredibly potent visitation dreams, not just with Jack, but with my grandparents and other loved ones on the other side too. Dreams that were so real that they feel like memories when I recall them now. I even began having psychic dreams about people who are still on this side who I'd lost touch with. They'd appear in my dreams and a few days later, I'd hear from them. I've also come to believe that we're doing so much more than we know when we're sleeping. there are like these physical aspects to it. It's like um, we could be having these dreams in, in environments and spaces that might not feel like they exist in the quote unquote real world. But then, you know, waking up and feeling as if, whoa, like I feel so sore. <laughs> um, and recognizing that that is because our souls were traveling um, in the, the the realm of dreams uh, to have these experiences. And then when we returned back into the physical body, we did all that work. And so that's partially why we might feel like soreness or just super tired when we wake up. This, I learned, was happening to James. I mentioned this briefly at the end of episode six, but he'd been having a series of dreams about being part of a team that I like to call the League. I'll let him explain. Uh, well, you know, I've been having, I've been having lots of dreams where I was part of a group, and the one that really uh, I told you had stuck out in my memory the most was I uh, remember being in this space, like, and let's just say it felt like very much like a hall of justice, like this was a just a beautiful like marble and big long tables. And it just felt like it was a special place where me and this group of, of people were meeting. And I just remember in this one particular dream that somebody came into the hall and they were somebody who we worked with, like that we interacted with them, but they weren't part of our group. And um, he, he was a he and he came in and he said, here they are, this amazing team. They are absolutely the best they're the they're the most brilliant and the most beautiful heroes that we have something to that effect and i just remember looking around and it's you know everybody was like you know statuesque and amazonian like the men weren't wearing shirts and they had rippling biceps and the women were these gorgeous you know all you know just beautiful beautiful women and i just looked like me in my dream and i looked around and i said to that gentleman yeah, 
I must be the smart one. Less than a month later, we were in San Diego having brunch with our friends Carrie and Johnny from episode four and the medium Marilyn Cap and her husband Harry, when, without prompting, Marilyn brought up that James astral projects in his sleep as part of a team of other souls. Well, I hadn't even talked about it yet. And Marilyn had, um, while we were we were together, she had been channeling and talking. And she said, and you, you, you actually leave your body at night. And you are part of a team. You're part of a group of people who do this. You leave your bodies and you go to locations where there have been some kind of you know, tragedy, some sort of big natural event that has caused uh, a lot of people to be hurt or trapped. And she had told me that I would go to these locations and I would, as an energy person, I would hover above an area where there might be people who were trapped, for example, like under the rubble of an earthquake. And I would just keep my palms turned up hovering above the area and somehow my energy would draw rescuers to that area. So she had, uh, Marilyn had commented at the same time, she'd said, and that's why when you wake up in the morning, you got a really, you know, a strange taste in your mouth. And I remember thinking that that's very strange that she's mentioning that. And someone said, well, why would he have a strange taste in his mouth? And she said, because, you know, he's the, wherever he was, he kind of brings that back with him. So he's, even though he's ener- just energy in the place, he brings back whatever the dirt and the atmosphere of the area was. And when he wakes up, that's that's how he knows he was there. There's a residual, you know, taste in his mouth. And I just remember turning to you and saying, that's strange because I haven't even told you this, but 100% true that for the last several months, I'd been waking up completely randomly, not every night. You know, it would be even long stretches in between that it would happen, but I'd wake up with this really weird taste in my mouth. And I didn't mention it because I didn't know what it was. It's like it wasn't morning breath and it wasn't like what I ate the night before or or garlic or anything like that or, you know, a very good dental hygiene. I'm really not sure why I would wake up with that taste in my mouth. And I mentioned that at the table and Marilyn went, yeah, that's because, you know, you brought back that taste in your mouth from where you were. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so even though I'm not focused on becoming lucid these days, I know that our souls are doing work in those nocturnal hours. Maybe we aren't all doing league-level work, but probably something bigger than any of us can imagine. And that recognition. That realization that our material lives are just a sliver of who we are, it has actually made me more lucid in my waking hours, too. I pay closer attention to the details, and I notice patterns, and I move through my days with the understanding that I'm creating all of my experiences. And when something particularly magical happens, whether it's a synchronicity or a psychic moment or a particularly beautiful sunset, I touch my palms to make sure I'm awake in this dream, the one we call reality. The 
The Glimmering is written, produced, and directed by me, Joy Ueno. Special thanks to Rosie Jung for sharing her experiences with dreams. To learn more about Rosie and her energy healing practice, and to get help with your dreams, visit rosiejung.com. That's rosie, C-H-U-O-N-G.com. And a big thank you to James LaDuke for putting up with hundreds of hours of video watching and conversations about lucid dreaming, not to mention my general zombiness during this experience. I love you. Season 2 of The Glimmering will be released in November. In the meantime, if you'd like to keep in touch, you can follow along with us on Instagram at The Glimmering Pod, where you can sign up for our newsletters and get exclusive sneak peeks. Finally, it would mean so much if you would leave a rating or review wherever you listen to the podcast. So many of you have written in to say how the podcast has helped you to reconnect with your magic, and we'd love to help more people do the same. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you for season two of The Glimmering this fall.